0: Of course, as we read this uh, story, as we read the book of Ruth, uh, we can't help but have a deep compassion for Naomi. Uh, Our hearts break for Naomi. She lost so much. First, there was a famine, and Elimelech and Naomi they lived in Bethlehem, and, and like most people in the ancient cultures, they were farmers. But when the famine came, their land became barren. And having no way to feed themselves and their sons, Elimelech and Naomi sold their little plot of land, a plot of land probably which was in their family for generations. And so they sold off their land and lived off the proceeds for a while. But eventually the money ran out. And having no other way of providing for themselves they went to the land of Moab hoping wishing that they would find a better life but the land of Moab it did not turn out to be a land of new beginnings because the land of Moab became the place where Naomi lost everything Naomi lost her husband she then lost her two sons And so chapter 1 ends with Naomi's embittered cry in verses 20 and 21. Do not call me Naomi. Do not call me pleasant. That's what the name Naomi means. Do not call me pleasant, but call me Mara. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi lost so much, and our hearts go out to her. But just the same, our hearts break also for Ruth. You see, Ruth also lost her husband. Ruth is also suffering. And yet Ruth, despite the fact that she was herself suffering, She was grieving. She was also a widow. But Ruth, she gave up her chance for happiness, and she bound herself to all of Naomi's afflictions. So we read in verses 16 and 17, some of the most beautiful words written in the Bible. Ruth tells Naomi, For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God My God, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. What a woman! What devotion, what loyalty, what kindness. But did you notice? Naomi is so consumed by her grief that she has no room in her heart for Ruth. She says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Really, Ruth doesn't count? You know, it's, it's sometimes the case that when you suffer greatly, suffering and pain can do one of two things. Suffering and pain can make you compassionate towards others that suffer, others who are in pain. Sometimes suffering and pain can close your heart when you become so embittered and so consumed with your own grief that you become blind and you stop noticing other people. And I think, unfortunately, that's what's happening with Naomi. She is so consumed by her grief that that she has no room in her heart for Ruth. She comes back to Bethlehem with Ruth in tow, but what does she say? I went away, for I came back empty. Naomi does not know how to love Ruth, and she does not know how to honor Ruth. But God does. And this is what we see in this chapter God who loves Ruth, and God who honors Ruth. And the first thing we see is how grace leads. Grace leads. Now, once again, You remember how Ruth chapter 1 chronicled the journey of the family from fullness to emptiness. But notice, uh, do you remember how chapter 1 ended with a hint of hope? Chapter 1, verse 22, we read that so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her at the beginning of barley harvest. Famine is over. There is harvest again. And our hopes begin to rise. Maybe, maybe circumstances will begin to change for Naomi and for Ruth. And yet at the beginning of chapter 2, the situation is very dire for these two widows. And we get the sense, don't we, that Naomi is past the age of hard manual labor. And every work in the ancient world was hard manual labor. And it seems that Naomi is really unable to word that leaves only Ruth but Ruth did you notice how many times Ruth is called Moabite you know the first time you hear that she's a Moabite you say oh, okay that's interesting the second time you, you are told that Ruth was a Moabite you say oh that's right I forgot that okay thanks for reminding me and the third time you hear that Ruth was a Moabite you begin to say oh, okay I get it what's your point Well, the point is that Ruth is a foreigner. She has no family connections. She has no relationship capitals to cash in. She is all alone. And these two widows are in a dire strait. They are facing starvation. And so what does Ruth do? Ruth goes out to glean Now, gleaning is one of the provisions that God made for the poor in the Old Testament. So if you read Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, this is what the Lord commanded the people of Israel. He commanded his people, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So if you are harvesting your crop, you are not supposed to... uh, Harvest every single stalk of grain, but leave the ones at the edges. And if you happen to drop something as you are gathering the stalks of grain and to form sheaves of grain, if you happen to drop something, you are not supposed to pick them up. And the point being is that this is how God is providing for the poor. And Leviticus chapter 23, the Lord once again uh, repeats the same command. And there are a few more times in the Old Testament where the Lord repeats the command. And the Lord says, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. That's the Lord's command. Um, I think one thing that we see clearly both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's God's incredible compassion for the poor. But you remember, don't you? This book began with chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled were the days when spiritual apostasy was rampant and growing. In the days when the judges ruled, people were not so keen on keeping God's law. Obeying the word of the Lord was not in vogue. In the, way, in the days when the judges ruled, it's an open question. It's an open-ended question whether the people will care for the poor. Because you see, it's one thing for the law to command. It's, for the, it's one thing for the Lord to command in this law, care for the poor, for the sojourners, for foreigners. And then it's an entirely thing altogether, entirely a different thing altogether for people to actually obey the law and if you also remember the book of Judges in the days when the judges ruled the book of Judges also chronicles an increasing violence against women and that's how the book ends if you remember and the increasing violence against women the exploitation of women they are there as if to make the point do you see how bad things get When people turned from God. They are the days in which the judges rule. And so you can feel Ruth's trepidation. Look at verse 2. She says, Let me go to the field and glean among the years of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Uh, She is worried. And she knows that even though the scripture made provision for the poor, who knows what she will find out there. Who knows what kind of reception, what kind of attitude she will run into, especially as a foreigner. And who knows as a young woman, how risky, how dangerous it might be to have no family to provide protection for you. And so Ruth knows that her very survival depends entirely on finding favor. Now, the word favor is a Hebrew word, Cain. Um, it's the great Hebrew word that means grace. I've always enjoyed the fact that, the, that my name sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for grace, Cain. And, you know, when I was learning to read Hebrew, you know, as when you do, when you learn foreign languages, you have to learn a lot of vocabularies. But this work was so easy to remember Cain grace that's such a nice connection But do you see here Ruth is in dire straits she is afraid she's worried because she knows that her very survival depends on entirely on finding grace Now what happens God indeed gives her grace but God gives her grace in a way that leaves no doubt that it was God's gift. So in verse 3 we read, So she set out and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Oh, so she just happened to come to the right place at the right time. Of course, that's not what the author is conveying to us. You know, Ruth was completely unaware. Now, the only thing that she's thinking about, I, I imagine that morning she set out, she went to different fields around her, and maybe she saw very unpleasant look on the workers' faces, and she felt afraid. Oh, maybe this is not the place for me. And she goes to a different field, and the workers there, they're grumpy. What are you doing here? You know, how dare you come into our field and take what belongs to us? And so I I imagine she's walking back and forth, trying to find a place where she can quietly, safely follow after the workers and glean what little they would drop behind them. And it so happens while Ruth is being driven by these thoughts and fear, she just happened to come. (laughs) In other words, God's grace led Ruth step by step to come to the field belonging to the one person who had a unique ability to help her. And God not only led Ruth step by step, he also led Boaz, the one man who was in a unique position to help, step by step so that he came just at the right time. Grace is leading the way. So that's the first thing we see. Second thing is that grace shelters. Grace shelters. So chapter 2 begins with verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. Now the Hebrew expression that's translated worthy man is literally a man of strength. So Naomi had a relative of her husband, a man of strength, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And the name Boaz means, in him is strength. And that sets up a wonderful contrast and raises our hope. Do you remember uh, Naomi's sons, Malon, whose name meant sickly, and his brother Kilian, whose name meant frail? Boaz is the exact opposite. He is a man of strength, and there is strength in him. But his strength was more than physical. There is strength in his grace. So when Boaz comes to his field, he notices an unfamiliar face. He notices an unfamiliar young woman laboring under the hot sun. And he's, Curious, he's puzzled, and he asks, Whose young woman is this? And he learns that she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now, another reason why we keep hearing that Ruth was a Moabite woman is the reason that Boaz is an old, pious Jewish man, Ruth is a foreigner and a woman at that. Social conventions do not allow them to mix. This is exactly the kind of person that Boaz should not be dealing with. And yet when Boaz learns of who Ruth is and what she has done, Boaz is deeply moved in his heart. And in verse 11 he says to Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And Boaz blessed her in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take a refuge. And then Ruth answers in verse 13, and it, it really breaks your heart, because Ruth says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. I say that that answer breaks your heart because I don't think anyone has ever spoken to her kindly ever since her husband died. As soon as her husband died, she was marked as a widow, a barren woman, a woman with no future, and Naomi, she is so consumed with her own pain. All she thinks about is her loss. She forgets that Ruth also lost, too. And I think Boaz was the first person who who sees Ruth for who she is. And he honors her. He speaks kindly to her. And so Boaz's compassion was the healing balm for Ruth's hurting heart. But Boaz's compassion was more than mere words. This man of stature, who was a lord among men, he took on the servant's role and served this poor foreigner at the table. You know, that's just something that doesn't happen. But you see, grace turned a lord into a servant. And what we see in Boaz is that Boaz gives flesh and bone to God's grace. As Boaz tells Ruth, that you have taken, uh, you have come under the wings uh, of the God of Israel to take refuge. And do you see how Boaz spreads his wings over her? So in verses 8 and 9 we read, Boaz tells Ruth, Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Again, This was a time when there was violence against women. Women were not safe on the streets. And that was the fear that we heard in Ruth's voice. But Boaz protects her. He brings her under his protection, the man of strength, the man. And if anyone, can I put it this way, if anyone messes with Ruth, they have to answer to Boaz. So Boaz uh, takes her under his protection, and verses 15 and 16, he commands his servants, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Once again, the law required the, the, the reapers, the, the, the workers, to leave only the edge of the field. And the law required that they do not pick up what was accidentally dropped. But Boaz goes far above and beyond what the law requires. And he uh, commands his servants, pull out some from the sheaves and leave them for her. Be gracious to her, be generous to her. And verse 17, at the end of the day, she measures the barley that she has collected. And it comes to be about an ephah of barley. An ephah of barley is roughly uh, between 30 to 50 pounds of grain. It's, about, it's roughly about a month's supply of food. And so the way this chapter ends, remember chapter 1 was a journey from fullness to emptiness. And chapter 2 begins with these two widows in dire straits, facing starvation, and God's grace changes their emptiness to fullness. Grace shelters Ruth. And that brings us to our third and the final point. Grace pursues. Grace pursues. So in the morning, Ruth went out empty, and she went out in fear. In the evening, she returns full and with joy. And grace awakened in Naomi's heart, faith and praise that long lay dormant. So, after learning what, what has happened to Ruth that day, in verse 20, Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord. This is the first words of blessing that come out of Naomi's mouth. This is the first words of appreciation. This is the first words of praise that come out of Naomi's mouth. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You see, she is praising the Lord for his kindness. And the Hebrew word for kindness is that great word, chazad. Chazad. And this is a word that is in different parts of the Bible translated as loving kindness, covenant faithfulness is sometimes translated as mercy and in other places it can be translated as grace. Well, why do we need so many words to translate that simple word? Well, of course, the meaning, the, the, the word has is so rich in meaning that it can't be simply translated with one or two words there's such richness in the word that all these words bring out different shades of the meaning of the word kezad. Loving kindness, covenant faithfulness, mercy, and grace. And that's what Naomi is praising God for, for his loving kindness, for his covenant faithfulness, for his mercy, and for his grace. And the word kezad means that God has committed Himself to Naomi. Not when Naomi was walking by faith after the Lord, but when Naomi had strayed from the Lord, when her heart was so embittered that the only thought that she had about God in her heart was bitterness and anger and disappointment. Even so, his covenant faithfulness would never change. He was committed to, root, to Naomi to bring her kindness, mercy, and grace. And David put it so well in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy, that mercy in Psalm 23, 6 is the same word, chazeth. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How does David know what God's what God's loving kindness is like? How does David know what does he know about God's covenant faithfulness? What does he know about God's grace and mercy? Well, I think the story was passed down. You see. The story was passed on from Naomi, from Ruth, to Ruth's son, Obed, to Obed's son, Jesse, to Jesse's son, David. I imagine David grew up hearing about Naomi's pain and suffering her loss, her embittered heart, but how God loved her, how God provided for her. I imagine that David grew up hearing about Ruth her sacrifice, her faith, her trust in the Lord, and how the Lord cared for her, provided for her, loved her. And I think that's in part the reason why David says in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And do you see here that Naomi... Goes from emptiness to fullness because of two Christ like figures. And these two figures point us forward and show us how God's grace pursues us. Because you see, Ruth was a Christ like figure to Naomi. And like Ruth, Jesus bound himself to our afflictions. He chose to suffer with us. He chose rather to die with us than to live in comfort and ease and glory without us. Ruth was a Christ like figure, and it was through Ruth that salvation comes to Naomi. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus, who descended from Ruth, bound himself to our loss, our pain, and our death. And Boaz was a Christ like figure. He, a man of stature, a Lord among men, he made himself a servant. And Jesus, who comes from the line of Boaz, the Lord of heaven and earth, he made himself. A servant. He went above and beyond the requirements of the law, and he gave himself to us. You see, just the way that God's grace put on flesh and bone through Ruth and through Naomi, God's grace put on flesh and bone ultimately in the most perfect way through Jesus Christ, and it is through Jesus that God pursues us with his grace. And Jesus, Jesus loves us when we are empty. Jesus loves us when we are hurt. He loves us when we are broken. He loves us when we are running on fumes. He loves us when we are afraid. Jesus pursues us when sin has made us unlovable. And with his love, he makes us whole. Why? Because Jesus, like Boaz, is our Redeemer. Well, we will see more about that next week in chapter 3. But for now, we can say what it means to know Jesus as our Redeemer. To know Jesus as our Redeemer means that knowing Jesus means that He will pursue us until we are made whole. Knowing Jesus as our Redeemer means that He will bring us home. Knowing Jesus as our Redeemer means that grace never ends. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for instructing us from your word this morning, and we thank you that hope, salvation, and joy came to Naomi because of these two who embodied your grace and who show us Jesus Christ. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you, and we thank you that you are the perfect redeemer with these two Uh, We're reflecting in some small measure. We thank you that you are full of grace, that you love us when we are broken, when we are empty, that you love us when we are fearful, that you will pursue us until we stand in your house full of joy. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that Your grace will sustain us today and every day, that we would find courage in our trials and in our struggles, that we may live each day with hope and with joy. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.